gentlemen welcome back to wrestling tonight i am your hardcore host mad dog butch with me as always the grizzly boon to my kareem muhammad <laughs> none other than brace beamer yeah, yeah. <laughs> great show today tim or uh butch. and this week we are going all the way back you know there was a lot of stuff that happened uh, in wrestling the last couple of weeks that we could probably do a show about, but we don't do that here. Yeah. So we're going to go all the way back to 1983 when wrestling was still good. Well, let's get out that the MWO show was pretty darn good that was here on uh, Saturday. Uh, that's true. Um, if anybody missed it live or has not watched it, um, you can look it up on YouTube. Um, the ON, uh, excuse me, the Orient ONTV page has it uh, as well. Um, I had the CEO of the Michigan Wrestling Organization, Jason the Basher Klaus, as my guest on the Doghouse. Um, he made a major announcement that I won't spoil here, so <laughs> go back and check it out. Yeah, nice job, nice job with uh, CEO Klaus, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. I like your interviews. They're, I mean, they're about. <laughs> The best there is out there right now. So, uh, I I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it was much. more of an Thank old school much. show this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was actually. And uh, you know, that's more of the style that I that I liked. I thought right. it was great. Yeah, I, I, and that's one thing. Honestly, besides the last three matches, because at, at one point, I don't know if you remember, they they put out a collection of Starcade. At the time, you could only really get them on VHS. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I asked for for Christmas that year. I want to say it was 1989 <laughs> or maybe 1990. Because back then, I mean, it was like a two-tape two set, but it was like 50 bucks back then or something. Yeah, you like remember you go buy a movie, you know, yeah. and, on VHS, and they were 30 bucks. Yeah. So <laughs> so I had I have seen the last three matches of this Starcade that we're going to talk about quite a few times. It had been a long time since I'd watched them, but, but it, after... But when I was watching these other matches, I don't remember ever like watching these other matches on here. I may have seen them, but if I did, I didn't remember. Yeah. But man, I was just watching this thinking, I miss, I really miss this style of wrestling <laughs> yeah, so I bad. Know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really did. Um, I got a lot of notes. I'm sure you do too. So let's get right. Pages into it. and pages and pages. <laughs> so um, the environmentalists, the tree huggers, are going to be coming <laughs> after me. That's for sure. So again, um, this is Starcade '83. This was uh, the first Starcade called Flare for the Gold. Uh, it happened on November 24th from the Greensboro Coliseum Complex. Great facility uh, uh, for wrestling. Apparently, in the southern states, they had it on on closed circuit television as well. Um, they said that they drew over 16,000 fans in the house. Um, let's get right to it. We start off with the Dean of Professional Wrestling, Gordon Soley, and Bob Cottle introducing the show. Uh, actually, you know what? They don't introduce the show. They kind of go right into it. At, at least, I, I mean, I watched it on the network 
So yeah, they went right into the first yeah, match. Yeah, so they went right yeah. into the first match, but I think I just wrote that down because those are our announcers. Yeah. Uh for the matches. Um so the first match Well, is... before we get to the first match, can I I got a couple notes just about that event in general. Sure. Yeah. I mean <laughs> here here's just a uh, you mentioned 16,000 fans that was a sellout at Greensboro. Uh, a stronghold for at the time of NWA territory, Mid Atlantic. The two th- in 2017, the WWF, uh, I think, with their SmackDown, SmackDown brand, went to Charlotte to k- kind of revive Starcade on Thanksgiving night. And they drew 10,500 fans. So <laughs> that was a little dip in attendance prior to what was that? 17, 20 years earlier, whatever yeah. it was, 15. And they tried in 2018, and they went to Cincinnati, Ohio, and drew 7,500 fans. So, oh, okay. J- just a little tidbit there to show you that the you know everybody seems to think the wrestling is bigger now. You see WWE on TV all the time, but like the fans aren't there. Well, I mean, was was it an actual SmackDown television show or was it a house show? House show. Yeah. But they uh, did they did everything locally, hyping it like it was Starcade, like like they used to. Oh yeah, the the first Starcade that WWE did a year ago, they actually incorporated some old school stuff, and then I think they yeah. had the Rock and Roll Express on there. This year, it seems like they just didn't they didn't do all that. I I don't remember, but it didn't seem like huh. they did all that like they did the year before. So now they're just using the name just to draw, try to draw a crowd to a house show. Yeah, a yeah, really. house show. Yeah. Was that it, or did you have Yeah, that, that was it, really. Okay. Um, yeah, so the first match we get right into, and it is the Assassins with Paul Jones versus Bugsy McGraw and Freight Train Rufus R. Jones. Uh, the Assassins are Hercules Hernandez and Jody Hamilton. It was still Jody Hamilton. Yeah, right? yep, okay. exactly. Um, the Assassins end up winning with a schoolboy kind of with the old mask switcheroo type deal, uh, the masked confusion. <laughs> well, you know what? That's what I thought when I watched it. And I'm like, that that looked weird because, you know, Jody Hamilton, the original assassin, is a lot bigger than right. assassin number two, Hercules Hernandez. But what they did when they went on the rope, they did the blind tag. Hernandez, assassin number two, was thrown into the rope and put his hand out. And Hamilton tagged. Oh, okay, I missed that part. Yeah, I did too. When I first watched it, I'm like, they couldn't have screwed that ending up that bad. And then I rewound it, and he made a blind tag. Oh, okay. It wasn't really blind. Assassin two stuck his hand out, so that's why Assassin one came in and rolled him up. And referee Tommy Young didn't, you know, get him out of the ring or anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I I just just thought it was like the the mask because they were both wearing the same thing. Um, while I was watching this, I was thinking, why would you put Hercules, probably one of the best bodies of anybody in there around that time, Yeah, and you cover him up head to toe? Well, he had to learn how to work, you know? He, he looked good. I mean, he, yeah. he still looked pretty good. Yeah, and he had been working with Hamilton for a while. They've been doing a lot of work together. Yeah. You figure if he's, you know, the, the other train of thought is, well, if he looks that good and everything, you kind of don't want to throw him out there right away without the mask and everything. They eventually took it off a couple years or a year and a half later in an angle. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I, I'm just saying when I was watching that, I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, yeah. man, all these other guys, I mean, you know, there was a few guys, but I mean, look at the guys that they were wrestling, Bugsy McGraw and Rufus. Yeah. Jones. 
Uh, I will say this. A few shows back, we mentioned Slick being Rufus R. Jones' son. But you were correct. It is his son. and It was like his adopted son. Oh, okay. Or his... Yeah, I believe it was his adopted son. Oh, good I, I job following was, up on that. I thought I, it was I got his things legitimate. I haven't followed up on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've caught a couple things, but um, I just happened to actually be reading some article in it, and that came up on it. So, oh, really? Then I like looked it up. Huh. And, yeah, everybody else verified it. So, Speaking but he, he does kind of look like him, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was looking at. Well, we'll get into it later, but. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the assassins win with the schoolboy. Uh, then we go to. I mean, the match was okay. Yeah, you know, I I thought it was a good opener. Yeah, it was. You know, it, it was fine. It, I mean, it yeah, was a it little was repetitive. Eight minutes, eleven minutes. Yeah. A uh, Bugsy McGraw tying this back locally. Um, he kind of started out here in Detroit. I, you know, and I just heard heard an interview with him uh, a couple weeks ago, which is kind of ironic that it comes up. He's got a book out now. He started oh, okay. as the Big O. Uh, here in Detroit, started in 1967. Oh, okay. And some of his stuff is out there, like when he's in Memphis, when he's in his heel, you know, being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And his whole deal was he was a psychotic uh, Vietnam vet, right? Yeah. Agent Orange or something screwed right. him up. Right. And his promos were awesome. I remember seeing a yeah. little bit of that. Uh, as, but as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as his baby face work goes, um, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of people kind of dog him for not being the greatest worker he looks you know he was fine for what he did yeah. i mean i mean he did what he had to do and he was over huge yeah uh, in nwa or, or uh whatever world class yeah and world class he was always over huge oh well, he was uh, big in florida too in the 70s yeah early 80s he was he was a monster yeah <laughs> so anyway you know the match the match was fine uh a, a decent opener like you said uh, then we go to Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley, who pitch it to Tony Schiavone in the locker room. Um, I'm just going to gloss over this part. Did you and, see Piper and Flair going over strategies in the background yeah, silently? I, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, then we get Tom Miller as our ring announcer, who introduces our second match, which is Johnny Weaver and Scott McGee versus the Purple Haze, Mark Lewin, and Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> with Gary Hart as their manager. Uh, again, I mean, the match was okay. <clears throat> they had already been doing the Devil Worshipper stuff, correct? Yeah, they had just started. Yeah, because yeah, they had been doing it because Sully was referring to him as. That's what I was going to say. A, he, he threw a, a couple a things druid. Out. Yeah, yeah. He you know, threw that out there. Yeah, and uh, they did start that down in Florida that year. Yeah, because they did the whole thing, because that's when he started teaming with Lewin, when he brought him out of the water as the Purple <laughs> yeah. Haze. Um, they kind of downplayed that whole aspect for this, though. Yeah, right. Like I, I mean, they, like you said, they hinted at it. Yeah. Uh, well, because people in the Carolinas would know right. what was going on in Florida anyway. Right, that's true. <laughs> you know? A uh, couple <laughs> decent, uh, well, I mean, I'll just go to the ending. I mean, the match, the match was fine, but... Uh, Kind of a cool ending. Something that I don't ever remember seeing is the the uh, uh, Johnny Weaver was on the ground with with his hand up. I think he was on his stomach. Maybe not, but either way, they did kind of like a double arm twist. <laughs> yeah. like a merry-go-round arm twist. Yeah, they were like spinning around with it with his <laughs> wrist, and then that led to uh, Purple Haze coming off the top rope, uh, hitting him 
in the arm with a knee, and then that led to a, a pinfall yeah. on on Johnny Weaver. Um, then after the match, Scott McGee. Well, they they start going after Gary Hart. Gary Hart gives them the golden spike that they used. Kevin Sullivan used quite a bit. They bust open Scott McGee. Angelo Mosca comes in. <laughs> they attack him. He blades his arm. Um, and then I, don't, I can't remember if they ended up running him off or. Whatever, yeah, they but. they did, and they got their um, <laughs> good guys. Good guys got their shine back, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Time of that was six minutes forty three seconds. You know, I, when I was watching this, I thought, well, "Dang." Mark Lewin should be like in the WWE Hall of Fame. He is probably one of the most underrated uh, wrestlers, performers there is out there right now. Yeah. He was so big in New York. He was Hogan before Hogan, you know, in the late 50s, into the early 60s. Yeah. Another guy that had big success everywhere in the world. Here in Detroit, you know, you can see matches with him against the Sheik. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's kind of a famous one that's been on a bunch of different videos. Yeah. Yeah, he was huge. Yeah. And Johnny Weaver, a uh, legend in the Carolinas, you know, yeah. was in that yeah, tag was, team legend as well. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of surprised. I mean, he was older at the time of this. I mean, I was I was a little surprised that the way that it ended, that they just kind of beat him with, with, <laughs> with that move, just kind of like out of the blue. But He could still work there, you know? Oh, yeah, He definitely. still looked good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, probably not too long after this, he, he, he went, uh, you know, he pretty much – became an uh, announcer exclusively. Yeah. yeah, he was he was tied into the office there in Mid Atlantic for a while. One thing I noticed in this match, uh the referee work. <laughs> it was so refreshing to see that there was a time where uh Kevin Sullivan was beating on one of the other guys in the ring. I can't even remember which one. It was Scott McGee. And then Mark Lewin came in under the second rope and reached out and got a tag from Sullivan and came into the ring. And the referee was Sonny Fargo of, you know, Fargo frame fame. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Made him get back out oh, and make okay. a legit tag. And they did that a couple times during the match. And it was just so nice to see, like, yeah. some of that detail that's missing today is, right. you know, like following the rules. And that's helped them get heat when they needed to. Right. You know? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, then we go back to Gordon Soley and Bob Cottle, and they pitch it to Barbara Clary, who interviews some of the fans that are there. And then we go to Tony Giovanni in the locker room with Harley Race. Uh, Race just talks about basically what he's going to do to Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> Harley Race interviews, they, they just mesmerize me. They're so good. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, and Barbara Clary was from uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida. Okay. Dusty Rhodes, who was booking this show, was in Florida at the time. And, you know, you see he brought some of the, his talent up there, and, and she was one of them. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure where she was from because I don't remember seeing a whole lot of her or if I'd ever seen her before at Yeah, all. probably didn't, you know. Then we go to match number three, which is Carlos Colon versus Abdul the Butcher a match that they claim was banned in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, apparently th this was being sent via satellite to Puerto Rico as well. Right. In addition to some of their other closed circuit locations. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, 
the match was fine for what it was. Typical match. I've seen a lot of matches with these guys. Um, really nothing spectacular. Um, it went what? How long? About six minutes. Four minutes and thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, didn't go very long. <laughs> Referee but. Stu Schwartz stood there a lot during this match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get Hugo Savinovich running in and interfering uh, after a ref bump, which gives Abdullah the Butcher the victory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carlos Colon, a big legend in Puerto Rico. You know, yeah. one thing I noticed with these guys is they, they didn't get the reception that you would expect as a hardcore, you know, know-it-all wrestling fan there right. in the Carolinas. Because yeah. nobody had seen them. Their TV, Puerto Rican TV, didn't go up to Carolinas. Yeah. They hardly, I mean, every, people knew Abdullah because they'd bring him in every once in a while, and he got a he got a decent reaction. But it, it was good once the match got going that they kind of got the crowd into it. Yeah, Carlos, actually, it seemed like Carlos got a mixed reaction. It, it, yeah. It seemed like there yeah. was so, just as many boos. But then <laughs> but then when they, when they, um, when they introduced Abdullah, though, <clears throat> he got, you know, he got booed yeah. ex- exclusively. So so <laughs> it didn't sound as bad for Carlos. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Abdullah was enough of a heel where they could, you know, work the match and it, at least get a decent reaction out of it. But that, that was a tough go for those guys in that crowd. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, they weren't on f- for the local show. They were on for the distributed show. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I did note, take note of while I was watching this, you know, because they were both had the feud in Puerto Rico since the seventies, you know, late seventies that started that gorilla monsoon owned part of Puerto Rico. He was one of the guys oh, with right. Carlos Colon and, uh, Victor, uh, Quinones. Was it Victor Quinones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that started uh world wrestling council in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was, I don't know, it just popped in my head. Monsoon had part of that territory until the late 80s. That's who Brody was going to buy out to (laughs) get in on that territory. And, you know, and then he got murdered. I will say that when I was watching it, I was thinking, uh, this is also a AWA Remco two-pack that you could have bought (laughs) a couple years later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Under the AWA banner then, but. But still, you don't know how many times I had the fake blood going on those two guys. <laughs> oh, how can you not? I know. <laughs> uh, then we, so from there we get Tony Schiavone again. Did you notice they they had trouble with Schiavone's name at first, and Gordon Soley had trouble the whole time? No, I didn't. Yeah, he he couldn't pronounce Schiavone right. He called him Shavone. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think I did catch that. Yeah, they. You know, Bob Cottle kind of butchered a few things too. Um, you know, as far as Colin, but he he kind of always did. But uh, but back then you could get away with that. I mean, you had the guys in world class that would do the same. Well, Bill Mercer, yeah. would kind of do the same thing. <laughs> you know, I I want to talk about this now because I kind of made a note of it when I thought of it later on in the card. But this was really the the first time you know because I was noticing a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, even production type mistakes throughout the show. Yeah, but this was the first time they were really running an event like that, right? Where, you know, different locations. And granted, everybody's in one spot, and the production is coming from there. But you also had a Booker in, in Dusty Rhodes, who was out of town. You know, he didn't live there in Charlotte, mm-hmm. in the Mid Atlantic area, 
and he flies into town. So they're, it seemed like they're just setting a lot of this up on the fly. You think so? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Not, not, not necessarily booking the card, but putting the show together. Uh, you know, who's going to be where, cutting to what interview. Because they made, they made some mistakes like that a few times. and They did, but there were some problems, too. There was, like, some audio problems. Sure, and right. So they yeah, had that's to redo what I'm talking about. Things. Yep. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I just think that that was just because that's what happens with live live events. And, <laughs> and they didn't have, like, the experience they would have had with, with doing something sure. like that yeah. until later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we get Tony Schiavone with Angelo Mosca. And sitting next to him is a bloody Tom McGee. <laughs> Laying there bleeding like a stuck <laughs> Just, pig. Yeah, that's all he pretty much did. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, but I did <laughs> notice that Angelo Mosca tried to put his son over, who was probably one of the worst wrestlers of all time to ever get a push. Maybe. Yeah, I remember that. I, I, I mean. He wasn't ready. No, not at all. I mean, it. <sighs> I recently watched a match with him and Ivan Koloff when he, I, I want to say he won the Mid-Atlantic title from Ivan Koloff, and it was horrible. Yeah, I've seen that before. Luckily, Ivan <laughs> yeah. was the professional that he was because anybody else probably would have shot on him big time. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not because it's Moskett's kid, but still, yeah, it was, it was horrible. And I was just watching and thinking, that kid is lucky yeah. that, that Ivan is such a professional because it, it was just bad. It was just horrible. <laughs> Well, that was a good interview with Angelo Mosco on uh, Angelo Mosco was a very good talker, and, and he was all over this thing. Yeah. Um, I don't remember him a whole lot after this, uh, so I, I don't remember, like, I, what happened to him. I, yeah, he wound he, up. He had a heel turn. He went turn. up to, yeah. to uh, Canada, didn't he, and kind of start his own promotion or, or, well, he or was, was part of a promotion up yeah, there? Yeah, he was in with the, with the Toronto office there. Right. Toronto okay. Maple Leaf Wrestling was still associated with the NWA. And Moscow was a huge name in yeah. uh, Canada. Maybe even, you know, at the time he was, I mean, he was a football legend, a wrestling legend, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's was, that, that's why he was all over it. Yeah, he was definitely a good talker. Yeah. I mean, a, a big, intimidating dude, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> then we get Bar- Barbara Cleary with the fans again. Um, then we go to match number four, which is Cowboy Bob Orton and Dick Slater versus Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood. <laughs> um, decent enough match. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And um, when I was watching it, I was thinking that, you know, we, we talk about, well, not we, but uh, people talk about, a lot of different wrestling families and the legacies and stuff. And the, the young bloods seem like they get left out and they actually, I mean, Jay passed away at a young age, but Mark and Chris, Chris. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they were attacking for a long time in WCW and, yeah. and global and, you know, and, and they were actually a great tag team. Well, beside that, uh, their dad was Ricky Romero, famous wrestler on Texas L.A. I yeah. mean, from the fifties, the guy fought everybody. He was over Super Max. Maybe if you ever yeah. heard that, but you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, they just they just don't. I, I was just thinking that, like Mark, you know, watching Mark Youngblood, and I was just thinking, man, these guys just don't ever get mentioned by anyone anymore. And they they were actually a great team. I don't remember if they ever won the WCW tag team titles or not, but the Youngbloods themselves, 
Did they? I don't, I don't, I don't believe think so. they did. No, I, I think mean, uh, sure Jay Youngblood. Them. Well, Jay Youngblood died, but, yeah. but it would have been Mark and Chris. Yeah, they, they, were they like never the, did. They were like the Renegade Warriors in there yeah. when they were like really pushing the tag teams in like the early 90s. Um, I think they probably, I want to say maybe they held the USWA or global tag team titles. It yeah, they like held they the did. global yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. So. But <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, that was a. Orton ends up winning. I mean, Orton and Slater end up winning when Orton gives uh, Mark the superplex. And then post-match, they work over Wahoo's arm. <laughs> they, they break there his arm. A, yeah. There was a lot of arm working over on this pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or on this card, I should say. It was before pay-per-view. But. Yeah, this this match was booked um, as uh, Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel trying to avenge Orton and Slater for their attack on Ric Flair, which, you know, put him out of action. And, he re- you know, Ric Flair was retired after Orton and Slater gave him a spike pile driver. <laughs> so this was set up for McDaniel and Youngblood to give uh, Orton and Slater their comeuppance. The whole thing kind of seemed like they were building towards maybe a feud between Steamboat Youngblood and Flair and and Race Orton and Slater somewhat, just, hmm. just the way they were doing the interviews. But that's how it, it had been, like, building up to it, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I thought I thought Youngblood and uh, Steamboat had just come off the Cornoodle Sergeant Slaughter feud. They did. That was two two or three weeks earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then Cornoodle was out there putting them over later. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll that, get to that later. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Orton and uh, Slater, an underrated tag team in the annals of uh, wrestling. Yeah. They just didn't stick around that long to be considered great but they they were a great team yeah and those those are two guys that i just always liked yeah uh just just two solid workers neither of them really were main event status guys not, right. never really like reached well that, slater kind of was level. for for a while you know late well, 70s early 80s yeah that's true yeah. He, he was what the mid-south uh north american champion yeah he was he was great he was one of those guys that caught on quick, you know, and he yeah. had the accident. People said he wasn't the same after, but he could still have a great match. Yeah, definitely. Even after that. Definitely. Uh, one thing about Slater, uh, some, some, I mean, this happened years later, but uh, <laughs> he will always be known as the man who gave Sting a swirly backstage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Slater was a uh, tough guy. He was another funk disciple, and you could tell by the way he, oh, he yeah. wrestled, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Also in that Wahoo McDaniel, uh, former NFL player for the uh, New York Jets, big huge fan favorite in the NFL, especially for the Jets. Anybody listening out there in New York and a Jets fan, you probably heard Wahoo McDaniel before, right. as well as being a wrestling legend. Right. Yeah, I was never a huge fan of Wahoo, but uh, all, all those three other guys were like not not saying Wahoo wasn't a great worker, but those those three other guys I really liked. Wahoo, I just never. I mean, he was older when I saw him. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting towards the end of his career, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like he just relied too heavily on the chops yeah. for my liking. But I his mean, feud with Magnum, with the Raging Bull. Yeah, I know? mean, that was, that was, that, they was, were that, awesome. was, that was cool, but, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I was just never a huge fan of his, but, but anyway. Um, so then we go backstage once again with Tony Schiavone, who's along with Flair. Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. 
Uh, then we get Barbara Clary <laughs> with Dusty Rhodes trying to cut his promo about uh, himself getting the winner of the race and flare match. Uh, but there is audio problems. <laughs> so yeah. Soli kind of takes over once again. Um, Do you notice the sweet yellow tinted sunglasses that Dusty had? Uh, I did not. Notice I want that. a pair of those. <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice that. <laughs> well, you know, like another thing with the interviews, they were all, um, everything was presented like a sport. Like all the interviews, that's what know, I was going to say too. The I good mean, guys are, you know, more humble and yeah, like they were talking about a baseball game, right? You know, yeah, that yeah. I was thinking the same thing when I was watching. It. I was like, this. I mean, then that's probably what I miss. I, you know, that's part of what I miss a lot of. Uh, just, just. I mean, Gordon Soley always, always presented it like like a true sport, right? Uh, you know, yeah. Coddle too, but more so Soley. As we did in the MWA as well. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I mean, honestly, even even the whole card was built up like a sport, and it was built up to a like right. a prize fight, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, From start to finish. Then we go to match number five, uh, which is Charlie Brown from out of town, a mask versus TV title match. Uh, Charlie Brown from out of town versus the great Kabuki with Gary Hart. <laughs> Uh, Kabuki was the television champion at the time. Um, the stipulation was that if Charlie Brown didn't beat him within 15 minutes, that, uh, that he'd have to unmask. It was the 15 minute stipulation was for him to win the TV title. But the, the other stipulation was that if Charlie Brown lost, he would have to unmask himself. Okay. Because the whole deal was uh, Kabuki and Hart is saying that's really Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant. Right. Of you course. know, because yeah, they no. beat him in a loser leave town match, so he came back came under back a mask. Charlie Brown. So if he had to be unmasked, he would have to leave for a year. But the right. 15 minutes was only for he had to beat Kabuki within that time frame to win the to TV win the title. title. Okay. Yeah, because the TV title, the time limit was 15 minutes for that. Oh, okay. Uh,. <clears throat> Sonny Fargo was the referee on that one as well. He was again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I want to say about this match, I, I, I actually really enjoyed this match. Uh, <laughs> I, but I was I was a big Jimmy Valiant fan. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I don't know. I just really liked his, more so his, his baby face persona that he portrayed in the NWA. Just because he was like... I don't know. He was you just, just loved his shit. He was stick. just constantly moving and 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 talking and doing. And he's another guy that like people say was not a great worker yeah. or whatever. I mean, like Bugsy but, McGraw. But this, but this match, I, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell. One thing that I want to say is he did a couple like back body drops that were like weird. Like like he would actually come off the rope like he was going to do a shoulder tackle. Yeah. But but then he'd like back body drop kabuki he did it like two times yeah without going all the way down he kind of just chuck him but up he was air. coming off the rope himself yeah. instead of throowing the kabuki off <laughs> yeah. and doing it. it it was just kind of an odd thing i mean it looked cool but it was just something that that you just don't see i mean you'd never see that nowadays but uh, but anyway um <laughs> uh kabuki ends up missing a draft kick in the corner uh charlie brown comes off the ropes gives him the elbow drop for the pin that was kind of a weird, uh, like, out-of-nowhere finish. 
Yeah, it was. It was. But, but the match went. How how long did that match? Go? Oh, geez, that was. I mean, they gave ten that minutes some thirty-five seconds. Yeah, I was gonna say they gave that some <laughs> decent time. And uh, I mean, that was pretty good. I mean, because because uh, Charlie Brown, Valiant, worked over Kabuki quite a bit in the beginning. Then Kabuki made his comeback and was kind of working him over. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I I really enjoyed this match. And and you know, to to be honest, here I was watching the match and I liked it. But um, Kabuki was was getting all of his offense, you know, the heat from a claw hold, <laughs> well, that's and they right. they that's... worked the claw hold for a long time. And so I on my controller, I hit the fast forward button once. Okay, I only hit it once, so I could still watch what was going on because they did a lot of that claw hold. They but, did, and it was he funny. even came off the the top and got him in a claw hold. <laughs> yeah. So when they're doing that, you know, I'm watching it fast forward and I'm like, I feel like I'm cheating myself, you know? <laughs> and then on the screen, I was watching like the WWF, WWE, you know, version right. of that. And they had a WWE fast forward thing as I'm watching it that sped it up even more and went to a, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, I was, wasn't the only one thinking about that. <laughs> But yeah, I liked the match, and the crowd was into it. He didn't keep him in the call that long. (laughs) I I don't know. To me, he did. To the WWE, he did, too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that match was just a brawl. What about the Kabuki? Yeah. Gary Hart creation, man. That that guy was kind of, he sold a lot of tickets. You look at the guy, and, you know, he just wasn't, like, all that great of shape, but he could go. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) There, there was a show on ESPN that would like watch old. They would kind of review, they kind of, kind of give the Mystery Science Theater three thousand treatment to old matches. And I remember them like talking about. They showed Kabuki quite a few times because they show world class, and it was just like they were just like chop, chop, kick, chop, chop, kick, chop, chop, kick. Yeah, I, I mean he mixed it up a little bit in this match, but by the time he was in world class, that was pretty much it. Yeah, well, you didn't really have to do much in world class. You didn't either, have to. Well, that, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you could get over huge just because you were, quote, a bad guy. Yeah. Especially if you were with Gary Hart. Yeah. It didn't really matter. And uh, one of your favorites, Bruiser Brody, um, he's the one that recommended this guy to Gary Hart. Now, recently. Out of Kansas City. Okay, I, recently I've watched some of Kabuki's work in Japan, and I think it was a lot better than what I've seen of his American work. Yeah, but, different style. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, look at Hogan, other guys that yeah. worked over there. It's yeah. to- totally different. Well, Kabuki did some good stuff in, like, Mid-South, and I, there's matches out there where it's, you're going to see a lot because that's his style with the kicking and whatnot, but. I mean, I'm not knocking him. I mean, he right. he was more of a gimmick than anything. Yeah. Um, But, but just, uh, but, but, I mean, he surprised me in this match. Yeah. I mean, because he did. You know, he was doing like kind of the jumping spin kicks and you know some different stuff. But Valiant was over, wasn't he? He was over huge. Yeah, I know. And what was cool <laughs> is he was like one of the guys that would f- fight from underneath. You know, he'd do oh, the yeah. shaking always, and everything. Always, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and that helped him get him over too. I mean, yeah, a little hint for any that's, aspiring that's wrestlers gonna, out there. I was gonna say he was like always moving, even when he was on the mat. Yeah, his legs were shaking. He was, he was just always moving. I, I do like I do like the, the handsome Jimmy Valiant better than Boogie Woogie Man. Now now I do. I didn't you know before. Okay. Like w- when we're watching Memphis when it came on and they brought Valiant back, you know I'm like God darn it! Why don't they have him Boogie Woogie Man? You know. Yeah. But now yeah. after watching all the Memphis stuff, 
Really? Now I know why Lawler and those guys said he took a bunch of shortcuts. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. If you if you get a chance to see that stuff, like oh I know. I'm not saying that he was great, and I'm not saying he was a great worker and had great matches. Believe me. Yeah. He was just entertaining. Oh yeah, heck yeah, yeah <laughs> highly <big> entertaining. Time. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of those guys that did all the shucking and jiving, like Bugsy and yeah. Uh, who was the other one on there? Rufus R. Jones. Yeah, Rufus R. Jones. Dusty. See, that, going back to that match, that's that's what I was saying. They Rufus and and Bugsy just kind of did the same thing in the whole match. Like they, yeah, their they styles were kind of similar. The same way we're doing the elbows, but yeah. Anyway, uh, good punches though. <laughs> oh yeah, everybody. <laughs> I, I I couldn't knock anybody's punches in and this whole show. Yeah. Um. All right. So then we go back to Soli and Cottle. Um. Uh, with <laughs> Dude Walker from G. One hundred and five. <laughs> he got over like a fart in church. <laughs> seemed like it seemed like Bob Cottle didn't even wasn't even listening to him. No, I don't think because he said they were... something at the end after that guy left. I'm like, man. You could at least put the guy over. You weren't even listening to him. No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. They, they, like, yeah, that, you know, who knows? That might have been a last minute thing, too. Yeah. They just threw him on there. Like, yeah. Uh, then we go back to Shivani in the locker room with Race Slater and Orton. <laughs> uh, then we go to Barb. That was a great interview with those guys. It was. That, yeah, man, that it was, was awesome. Yeah. God, they, I mean, because you would watch it and just think, that's really them. You know, the, right. you know, nothing memorized. They just, even people that didn't have a great interview, they were real. Again, that's what I miss about everything. I'm just yeah. like, you know, that, you know, watching all this stuff that it was not scripted out, yeah. written by somebody else for them to repeat. Yeah. Uh, it was just like they knew what they had to do and they knew how to get stuff over and that's what they did. Yeah. Even if they were, you know, even a lot of people memorized, it wasn't scripted, but they would script it in their head. Right. You you just you didn't know, yeah. you know. But this but this stuff they were doing on this show didn't seem like it was that at all. Yeah, it was just like, hey, this this is my character, and this is what yeah. I you're gotta, an athlete in the locker room. This is Let's what talk I gotta to act you. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good stuff. So, so then we get Barbara Clary with Dusty Rhodes for the second try, <laughs> uh, and and they they actually get through this one uh, with no audio problems with those uh, yellow sunglasses and dusty <laughs> just pumping dusty. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she did a good job in the crowd. I thought, you know. Yeah, she did a good job. I mean, this this was they changed it up though. This this part was her and Dusty in front of the screen yeah, that, right. that Soli and Cottle were in. So I don't know if they were having audio issues. Yeah, because they tried the in the crowd one. earlier. Yeah, that, and it that's what work. I mean. Like out because they were out in the crowd or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, this week was actually the four year anniversary of Dusty Rhodes' death. Also. I just really has it that. been four years? Yeah, I was I was surprised when huh. I saw that too. No yeah. kidding. Yep. Uh that leads us to match number six, which is the dog collar chain match between <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper and Greg the Hammer Valentine, who was the US champion at the time, but this was not a US title match, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Uh this match is very infamous. Um, Piper claimed that he lost a certain percentage of his hearing, which nowadays, I mean, back when I heard that back in the old days, I I believed it nowadays. I just think it was Piper being Piper because he claimed for the rest of his life that he actually lost so much percentage, but that was the whole storyline. Valentine said that he was going to take 
Piper's hearing, and that's that's what they kept putting over later on. Well, when this when this feud started, you know, like it started because Piper lost hearing in his left ear because Valentine hit him with a ring bell. Oh, right. You know, yeah. And then, and so he was saying that he was going to take the rest of. Yeah, but to Piper's defense, when he's talking about this on the interviews, he's talking about the feud. You know, they'll be talking about the match. Kind of like when Bret Hart says, well, you know, that was one of the best matches on the show. He was not talking about one match. He's talking about all of their matches throughout the feud they were doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Uh, now, now, I will say this. I've complained about this before, and um, I noticed it in this match. Not that the people watching would not know who Piper and Valentine were, but... It really bothered me that they were in the same color trunks. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something when I go back and watch these that really bothers me. It's like it's like why would why wouldn't the promoter or whoever why wouldn't they have just made that a rule back then? It's like it just seems like such a simple thing where they could have just said just don't wear the same color trunks. Well, you look at it that way now. I mean, it, you know, everything has to evolve. It'd be like, well, how come oh, when they oh, made the phone? Oh, no, they I don't have a. That's it I, wasn't a cell phone. No, no, no. That's know? what I'm saying. I understand that, but <laughs> it's it's like you know, especially them trying to present it as a real sport. It's like you know, if I, I know that you're not trying to present it like boxing, but still, it's like you know, boxing's like the guy in this trunk with these yeah. colored trunks and the guy yeah. in this colored trunks. It, I don't know. It's just at least pet. wear red or blue or yeah. white or something. It's just a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously, you can tell Piper and Valentine apart. But my whole thing is like watching like some old matches, like say I'm watching old NWA or old uh, UWF or something, and it's two guys that look similar that are wearing the exact same color gear, the exact same gear. My whole thing was, say you're flipping through the channels and you, and that's the first time you're watching wrestling. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to tell the guys apart. Well, that happened to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it happened to me yeah. back in the day too. Yeah. But I, you know, I remember. I didn't realize why specifically. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's kind of like now you, you know, now they're wearing all different color trunks. Everybody looks like a, you know, like a, like an LSD project, you know, with all the colors, but everybody looks the same. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Right. Uh, Now this match, I thought kind of had a anticlimactic finish. Um, I don't know if they had like planned it out to look better than what they thought it was going to. Or, or what it ended up looking like. Because, you know, Valentine came off the rope, hit Piper with the chain. Goes back up, Piper's on his back. Pulls Valentine off and looked like he was trying to clothesline him with the with the chain. It didn't really look that good. So then Piper just kind of turned over and just kind of beat him with the chain a little bit. Hooked the chain around his leg and then got the... You know, I the first time I saw that match, I mm-hmm. thought the same thing. But every time I've seen that since, I, I think it's good because of what type of match it was how it was billed and it just looked like a street fight yeah i mean i i guess now yeah i guess you could say it could add some legitimacy for the for the time but it just <laughs> i i remember like I, I i've thought that for years too i remember watching it for the first time i mean good match i mean a good gimmick match and you don't see a lot of that there, there there's not a whole lot of I, I mean i'm sure there's other ones out there but off the top of my head i can't think of any other dog collar chain match oh yeah yeah, there was there, uh, there have been yeah there have been UWF did it quite a few times. Yeah, but one one that sticks out of my head is Duggan and Bad Doug Sawyer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they had they had the uh, yeah that one was like really bad. But I but I mean it's, I mean it was good. But just you know it was just like a legit brawl almost. 
But uh, for me, this was the last word for chain matches, dog collar or wrist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's still, still the standard. Yeah. And I, I just, I loved it for, because it looked like a fight. Yeah. You know? Right. And it still holds up. There hasn't, I've never seen a chain match come close to this one yet. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, unless you're talking about Smirnoff Koloff and Eric Rabb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Buddy Rogers. <laughs> and uh, Iron Man. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, then we go back to Sully and Cottle again. Um, and they throw it to Tony Schiavone in the back with Buddy Hackett. Oh, no, that's Flair and Wahoo McDaniel. <laughs> Buddy Hackett. <laughs> Apparently, Wahoo McDaniel used to hate it when people said he looked like Buddy Hackett, but yeah, he looked exactly. But, but he, he looked he looked exactly like him when he was sitting there next to Flair. Yeah. <laughs> then we go to Barb Cleary again with Don Cornoodle, who puts over Steamboat and Youngblood going into their match. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed about this. Like they had everybody, whoever Shivani talked to, or whether it was the lady in the interview and the fans in the crowd or whatever, they all talked about who they thought they was going to win like the last match. Right. And they kind of yeah. did the same thing with the tag team match too, to some extent, the yeah. world title tag right. team match. Yeah. I thought it was good, you know, just continuity and building everything up to the main event. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, that takes us to the tag team championship, which is the Briscoes of Jerry and, Jack <laughs> uh, against Jay Youngblood and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with special guest referee. Once again, Angelo Mosca gets his face on the, <laughs> uh, the big card. Well, he got spiked last time he showed up. What's going to happen here? <laughs> yeah, he did have his arm all uh, bandaged up. Um, <laughs> Jay and Ricky end up winning it with kind of like a press drop type of move, I guess it, you would call it. Um, to me, this is probably the best match on the card. Yeah, I, I could, I'd have a hard time arguing against that. Um, oh, and, and yeah, and I have it on my shirt too. (laughs) Uh, Ricky. Oh yeah. And I got my flare shirt on. (laughs) How ironic. Ricky and, uh, Jay won the tag team belts for the fifth time. Uh, the storyline here was that the Briscoes were not going to show up, and Jim Crockett bought their contracts out of um, St. Louis? Georgia, I think. I th- okay, either Georgia or St. Louis. I couldn't remember what. Probably what St. Sully Louis said, with the Briscoes, you know. I think it was St. Louis. But, but anyway, um, so that was pretty much that. Uh, yeah, because the Briscoes wound up, they turned on Steamboat and Youngblood, you know, and that's Oh, kind of right. what got him here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Nothing. I mean, like I said, I, I, I think this was uh, the best match on the card. Um, I've seen this match a lot of times. Nothing really stands. I mean, there's, I didn't really take notes on it, but I do want to just mention the Ricky Steamboat arm drags. <laughs> But didn't he get those from Briscoe? Well, that's from I don't Jack know Briscoe. I remember surmising that on the show, and I and I wasn't sure. I think you're right, though. But I they think I've heard they look so similar, you know. <laughs> no one sure. else could do an arm drag like that. No, I'm, I'm almost positive that I've heard that before. <laughs> that, that he got them from Jack Briscoe. <clears throat> I could. 
Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I could not wait for Steamboat and Briscoe to lock up into this one. Yeah. I would have loved to see a match with Briscoe in, like, you know, the mid-late 70s mm-hmm. against Steamboat. You know, and Steamboat would have been young. I'd love to see both against each other in their prime. Yeah. That would have been awesome because both of them were just incredible at what they did. Yeah. Like, Jack Briscoe was, I mean... He doesn't get a lot of ink for being like a world champion as much as race and flair because of the length of time. His style was a little bit different, but man, he was phenomenal. Yeah. And I haven't seen a ton of his stuff, but uh, a lot of it was in the sixties, you know, late sixties, early seventies. You just not much tape. Right. And he died. He died relatively young too, didn't he? I mean, he was, did he die in the eighties or was it the nineties? Nineties. Okay. Yeah. 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 Steamboat and, and, in Briscoe, two of the best ever. And Jerry, you know, Jerry Briscoe, I think he's, you know, pretty underrated for how good he was. Yeah, he was too. I mean, and Jay Youngblood was, yeah. was fantastic as well. Uh, and, and I, you know, I couldn't help but wonder when I was watching this, what could have been with, with him. Um, he died in, in late 85, I believe. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Would uh, would WWF have been interested in him? I don't know. Maybe not with his size. They brought but... Steamboat in around that same time. Yeah, Steamboat was a lot bigger than Youngblood was. Right. Though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking you too. Know? I don't know if you know size wise if if they would have brought him in or if they would have brought him in, made him like a Scotty McGee type who just yeah pretty much you know he toured he but he jobbed all the time. He would have had work somewhere. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but the finisher in this match. You know, I, I noted it just kind of came out of nowhere. It was almost like a, it was almost like a butt kicking. It was at the end. Yeah. Cause you know? once they got the hot tag, they came in, they just worked over, uh, Jerry Briscoe, I believe it was. And then they just kind of gave him like the, the press slam splash thing. And that was it. I know. Cause I was waiting for, cause I'd forgot how that finish ended and they kind of did a, the hot tag, you know, two sets of heat in a tag team match. They did a hot tag earlier and then it, Action kind of simmered down. Briscoe started going on him, and they just made a tag and started yeah. beating the crap just, just out like of him. Just like worked him over, and then and that then, was it. And they just kind of <laughs> pinned him out of nowhere. But right. the Briscoes got their heat back. Yes, they you did. You know, and Moscow they took another. Moscow again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you see that splash that Jack Briscoe did when Jerry Briscoe had. Uh, he had him in the figure four. Yeah. Yeah. And he went up the top rope, and that's where Moscow got him. He was going for another splash. Oh yeah, that that was a that was a little bit of a botch because I think Moscow was supposed to catch him totally like in a bear hug and he kind of like fell well, he called him on his shoulder. There wasn't enough room there, right? Yeah, yeah. You know they were just positioned. I mean, either way, it was fine because Moscow just kind of held him down until he got yeah, in the and head, it looked but, real, you know. Yeah, it did. And then yeah. the good guys got up and beat the Briscoes up, you know, and Briscoes rolled away. What a great team! I used to hate them yeah. when I was little as a team. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't see a whole lot of them, so. Um, and I you hated know, them because they did their job. But know? I was, but I was, but I remember like when I got that video and I saw that match for the first time, I was like, I was like, I, you know, I've liked that match for a long time. Um, and, and I was impressed with the Briscoes, uh, in that match as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Cause they just wrestle. And then by the end of the match, you know, you're into it. You're sitting there going, God, it's like watching Larry Zabisco work. Come on, you know, <laughs> right? But that's what they did, you yeah, know. Yeah, that was great. Yep. <laughs> uh, so from there, for whatever reason, 
they oh I know the reason because they were putting the cage up. They run the uh, produ- production credits. Yeah, and uh, Sully like goes through like names everybody, and uh, like he's personal friends with them and talks about what a great job they do. Um, <laughs> then we get Bob Cottle again, who throws it to Shivani, who's in the back with Flair, Charlie Brown from out of town, Piper, Steamboat, and Youngblood. Then we go back to Sully. Well, and- those are great interviews. No, they were. No, they were. I mean, I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from them. But yeah. but it was just like you could tell they were like stretching. <laughs> I mean, looking back now, uh, Soli and Cottle, uh, we go back to them. They tried to throw it to Barb Clary at one time and say she's not ready. So then they're like stretching for time. <laughs> Is that what but happened? Because I yeah. couldn't figure out who I was writing down who she was, what she was doing, and I couldn't think of it. Yeah, they were gonna throw it. They were gonna throw it to her again. And then they said that she wasn't ready. There were some audio issues yeah. probably okay. probably right. again. So then basically Soli and Cottle. They cre- should have had Joe Johnson producing that. Huge credit to those guys, though. They they just started, like, recapping the show. Yeah. And then finally you could tell, like, Soli's looking over for the cue, and finally, like, Cottle starts talking. He's like, well, I think Barb Clary's ready. <laughs> so then they finally, like, throw it back to her. Uh, so who who she was, up? She was with Dusty in the crowd with like the four women, the four fans. Oh, okay. And huh. uh, ba- basically, she asked them what their prediction was. Of course, they all said Flair. Mm-hmm. But then Dusty said he was going to give his prediction, and then he's like, "I'll give it to you later." <laughs> 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 then we go back to Soli and Cottle. Then we get the national anthem with James Weeks. Nice. Who botched the lyrics? <laughs> kind of botched the singing as well i mean it wasn't horrible it's better than i could do but i did notice he botched the lyrics <laughs> yeah a lot of people do that under pressure you know yeah they say it's one of the hardest songs to perform yeah true you know? that's true <laughs> not my favorite version but uh you know it, it was fine for what it was i suppose uh, but this leads us to the world heavyweight title match in a cage the flare for the gold Ric Flair versus Harley Race with special guest referee Gene Kaniski. Yeah, and they named the show after this match. They did. Starcade uh, 1983, a flair for the gold. I will, and I will say this. Um, throughout the whole show, Gordon Soley kept talking about the new era of professional yeah. wrestling. So did they already know at this point, they already had to know that Vince had the national... Uh, expansion plans, Vince Jr. No, that I, I, they were just going a different direction with Flair. Are you sure though? Because I mean, this this is this really only took place a few months before Hogan won the belt. Yeah, and and and, and Vince Jr. had already already had the company. But I don't think it had. <clears throat> I don't think it had anything do to do with that. It was just they were going a different direction away from, you know, because Flair was completely different than Race, different right. than Briscoe, different than Funk. Um, so you think it was just kind of like their yeah. their youth movement thing? Yep. I mean, then yeah, because then you got Steamboat and Youngblood yep. beating the Briscoes. Um, so you think that that, yeah. that was it? They yeah. were just going kind of with the young. Yeah, because I've never I've never heard it like hearing like Flair or anybody that I've listened to really say that that was the impetus for, you know, saying it's a new era or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I just when I when I kept hearing that over and over, I was thinking. This has got to be because they know what Vince is up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, they wouldn't have known that he would have, trying to was like, going to run with Hogan. Cut it off. You know? Because well, to those guys, they look at their past champions and go, 
Backlund, you know, Graham, you know, at the time, Iron Sheik, they're not too concerned about. No, the Iron, no, would the Sheik have already had it at that point? Didn't the Sheik only hold it for like a month? Yeah, this would have been months. a couple months before she had. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. so it's still backling. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so anyway, this is another match that I've seen over and over and over and over. Um, not my favorite cage match. Not my favorite flare cage match. It it is what it is. It's <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's fine for what it is. Um, a good brawl. Both of them blade. I don't think you needed Gene Kaniski in there. Um, another famous world champion, Gene Kaniski, another Gene in wrestling. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about him. I was I was a bigger fan of his son Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a whole lot of Gene Kaniski, so but I but I re- I really honestly was a big fan of Nick Kaniski. I I wanted bigger things for him after I saw him in uh, AWA, and I think he did go into WWF at one point, but he never amounted to much there. But, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, so the finish is um, <laughs> Race has Flair in a headlock. Flair goes to throw him off. He headbutts Gene Kaniski. This looked like it was botched. I think Flair was supposed to come off the rope and give him a flying body press over just standing there uh, and not go up top. I think that that was supposed to lead into him coming off the rope, giving him a body press because he went for it. And race kind of like took him over to the side. Yeah. I think it was supposed to trip race over Gene Kaniski. That's the way it looks to me. Um, because you could see them talking to each other. Yeah. And, right. and then so Flair ends up going up and they do it again off the top. Uh, not very pretty. Um, no. But it, but whatever. It got the job done and you didn't have to be as pretty back then. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's why I liked it. I thought, you know, I, I like this match. I probably like this one better than the Briscoes and Youngblood, only because the way that that match finished. You know, technically and everything, the Briscoes and Youngblood and Steamboat was better. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was flawless. I mean, it, it was more flawless than this one. Yeah. Um, but I just like the realism of it and the way, like, Flair sold and race. You know, you could hear Flair, like, you know, you could Flair would yell and ah and all that crap. Yeah. Not a lot of people did that. No, that that's true. Uh, we should mention the overhead shots. Yeah, uh, Soli did mention that at one point too. Uh, but that that was a cool thing. Yeah, did uh, you see the one where Harley they had it overhead and Harley's going into the corner and he kind of hits his shoulders into the turnbuckle and he goes straight and then comes down and they had that shot from overhead. It looked so cool. <laughs> He's, I don't specifically like remember he hung that. In the air. No, no yeah. I don't. That, but but that was a cool like innovative thing i would you know they didn't really keep doing that later on no uh but 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 that was cool they did a couple uh, times uh didn't they do that on a like a, one of the clashes or maybe two of them yeah i mean or maybe bring, it was a great american bash they, they would you know they would bring it back every now and then but it wasn't <laughs> like uh it wasn't like an all the time thing um but uh so anyway flair wins the uh, world title back for his third time at the time. Um, everybody comes into the ring. Flair cuts a babyface promo interview, thanking everybody once again. Um, and then we get a bunch of crap after that. <laughs> I mean, not crap, but 
they were just we trying to like, fill up we got like time. 15 more minutes of yeah. them going back to interviews back and forth yeah um but uh <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not even gonna get into that part but um so so overall how would you rate this show well i want to stay on this match for a minute okay because okay. i i thought it was longer it was 23 minutes 49 seconds Okay. And I thought it was, you know, from what I, last time I remember watching, it was a while ago. And I thought it was like a 40 minute match. It seemed like it. Yeah. (laughs) It definitely seemed like it. Referee Tommy Young, of course he gets the, uh, you know, he's the, the best referee in there. I kind of, I I not really patterned myself, but I looked up to Tommy Young when I was, you know, when I was doing my refereeing, great referee. And one of the things like, how they built this match up was Harley Race put the, the $25,000 bounty on Flair's head. Right. Orton Slater put him out of action with the spike pile driver. I, I just, I miss how they do like long running angles. Yeah. No, you know, I totally like that. agree. I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um, oh, the entrances on this. I was, I thought I, I had like goosebumps like watching the beginning because they did what turned out to be Flair's music, you know, from the Space Odyssey. Right. Now, now, when I was watching that, was that, that I'm assuming, was probably the first time that, that that played for his entrance. That probably was not necessarily meant to be Flair's entrance music. Yeah, that was to the, like, because I didn't remember it that way either. But it was it was played to signify this is the main event. They right. had the little strobe lights and everything yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah. But then that becomes Flair's yeah. entrance. Yeah, and then he came this, out with but... the smoke. Yeah, you know, and everything. And my my first thought was they're making this look like uh, Jerry Lawler in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Like what was that eighty or eighty one when he came back? Yeah, you know they used to use all the, you know, the gimmicks and ring entrance stuff that they just started doing here. You yeah. know, a couple years later. Yeah, and then the shot where they so Ric Flair goes into the ring. It's just cool, like them walking into the ring with no music, and you can hear the fans. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, and all of a sudden, they just show Harley Race standing there from behind. <laughs> you know, you see the race on his jacket, and oh man, it was just great. All the smoke and everything, no lights all over the place, just like spotlights, and it's kind of dark. As soon as Race starts walking, the crowd just starts booing. Oh, that was great. Yeah, and Race took a long time to get to the ring. It seemed like too. Oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, on purpose. Yeah, yeah, soaking up all that heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Which I thought great. that was, that was better than any music. You know, it was weird. Like nobody had entrance music for that whole show, right? Because even Charlie Brown had uh, entrance music on TV, but he didn't use it in the arena here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, another thing about this cage match. You know, we talked before the differences in cage matches, like the rules. The cage in this one was specifically set up to keep Orton and Slater out of the ring. Okay. And you had to win, you know, like in most of the mid-Atlantic, most NWA territories, you had to win with a pinfall. Yeah, when I was watching this, I was thinking, why did WWF, with the way that they did their cage matches, which you either had to come out the door or over the top, yeah. why did they even bother to ever put a referee in the cage? Yeah, really. You wouldn't even had to. Yeah. You could have had them outside the ring, let them yeah. go at it. And... uh and, and and one other thing while I, while I was watching this, I was thinking Vince Jr. must have been watching this because he plucked most of these guys out of here. By the time I started watching WWF in 84, which is just a couple months after this, Piper, Valentine, yeah. Scott McGee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a little uh, 
it took a little while before Steamboat showed up. The Briscoes. But, uh, yeah, the Briscoes, they had made that deal with it with him at that point. Um, Orton. Yeah. Um, they did bring in Dick Slater. I don't think that was until about 86. Yeah, after for, Jake the Snake was in there. For a short time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I was watching this thinking, you know Vince was watching this thinking, I'll take that guy, I'll take <laughs> yeah. that guy. And beside that, they were on WTVS getting plastered all over the nation, at least where people had cable as well, you know? Right. <laughs> Another yeah. thing about that cage match is the rule still applied in a cage match. You couldn't choke. <laughs> you had to break on the ropes, you know? Right. So that was yeah. just more of a, like a realistic feel to it, like the way that that, that territory and some of the other territories handled their cage matches. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, that was like part of the thing. Gene Kaniski was kind of, Man, I don't remember if he did anything with Flair, but he definitely was like pulling race by the hair a couple times, pulling yeah. off off Flair, which would have led to your hypothesis about the finish too, where he was supposed to accidentally trip over Kineski with the flying body press from Flair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I mean it, that that's how it looks to me, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause, I'd, cause I'd probably bet like a the, paycheck the on way, it. Just the way that it that it was set up and then right after that you could you could kind of tell they're they're kind of scrambling to, to to redo the finish real quick and then they kind of miss i mean like kaniski's still like on all fours waiting for it although they kind of miss it but <laughs> but either way <clears throat> and the last the last thing that that stuck with me on this was um you know since i've watched a lot of southern wrestling like sunny fargo who would <laughs> Show up in Memphis around Christmas time as uh, Roughhouse Fargo. Yes, and team with Jackie Fargo. It was just so weird that he was a referee in <laughs> Mid Atlantic forever, and he, you know, he used to be a wrestler, but he just wasn't. You know, that was a long time ago. And then he shows up in Memphis, and you know, he's supposed to be a crazy lunatic <laughs> that they let him out of the uh, men- mental institution for a week around Christmas. <laughs> right. But the crowds would go up; they'd sell out everywhere. It's, you know, it's a great ploy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought that was great. Dusty should have teamed him up with Bugsy. <laughs> yeah, he could have. <laughs> uh, then it would have looked like a Goulas territory match, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Crazy Luke Graham and all those guys just throwing fists and running around, <laughs> yeah, bleeding right. all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a good uh, show. What do you? How do you yeah, compare I, this to the uh, the WrestleManias that we've seen? Oh, like like I said already, I. You know, watching the WrestleManias, I'm like, they they definitely lost their luster with time. This one, watching it, but like I said, I don't remember watching the undercard of this. But but still, I, I was like just watching it, thinking I miss this era of wrestling so much. Yeah. And and um, you know, I I I I don't really watch whole shows. You know, I, I will like watch a match here or there, but but just watching this whole show from beginning to end. Uh, just really made me realize like how different uh, things are, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and, and I, I can watch like the new stuff and still like it, but, but it's just a totally different thing. But you're watching it, it for a different deal, you know? Yeah. It just, it just doesn't, it was just presented in a totally different way. I mean, they don't have to, nowadays they don't have to try to make it seem legitimate. I mean, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. But, um, they could, they just shoot. Choose not to, you know. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the WrestleManias were just a, a different thing. I mean, um, you know, they they weren't setting out to have 
classic matches. I don't think they were just you know continuing their storylines, whatever whatever they yeah. do. Not um, you know just it's just different, just a totally different mentality. Yeah, different presentation, everything. Yeah, and and really think I mean at least in my mind, this type of wrestling like you know our wheelhouse like when we were kids like when i was watching it it started to die like in 87 you know i knew in 87 it was over right like back in 1987 and this was like 75 to like 86 like that sweet spot you know well i mean i don't know i mean the nwa was still okay at that point from like 87 to 88. I mean, things were changing. Yeah. Uh, definitely. AWA was still kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you could definitely see, see the difference now looking, looking like, back. You wouldn't look on a card and find all these angles. I mean, that's the deal. We're going down and run, running through these matches, but they all had pretty much all of them, maybe except for the openers, had origins. You know, and they were like a culmination or a continuation of a feud somewhere. Yeah. But, I mean, they just didn't. Shoot, I lost my train of thought. Now, forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so we've, let's see, we've gone up to what, WrestleMania 3 so far. So we'll definitely be covering more Starcades because... uh, because I, I I really liked going back and watching this. Not, not that I don't like going back and watching the WrestleManias, but but some of those matches are just hard to watch. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, it's just a completely different presentation of it, you know? Yeah. We got we got used to liking our wrestling one way and Yeah. You know, they produced something different. Right. It's um yeah, I mean we we could we could go we could discuss this all day, like the difference, but yeah, what I know what I was thinking. You could watch a card like this, Starcade '83, and pretty much be into it, start to finish, with all the angles, and because you're used to opening matches. But like when you watch the WWF, it's just—I don't know. I don't even know why I went back to this because it's just so well. It's so different. Well, I mean, um, you know, Vince or a lot of guys that worked for Vince said that that he at that time probably still even nowadays is presenting it more of a personal appearance. Like every match is like a personal appearance for the wrestler. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not about <laughs> presenting necessarily a, a great match. Like I said, yeah. um, and not that all these matches were great, but, but it was, uh, I, I mean, I think that they offered, they definitely offered from top to bottom. You had, different um different types of matches i mean you had some technical stuff you had the brawls you had the gimmick stuff yeah you even had some comedy stuff in there it was a booking so, 101 right yeah you know exactly a little you something know? for everybody and wwf tries to do that too they yeah this was before <laughs> yeah i know where i was going you had the weed like you could watch this whole thing and you didn't have to like tune anything out if you were like a big wrestling fan i'm sure some people didn't like whatever which is fine but like the WWF, I had to find something out of the whole mess that I liked. Right. You know, this is old school enough for me. Like this match here, this feud here. Yeah. You know, instead of yeah. having the whole card that way, it was, you know, like, haha, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever. And then, oh, this is cool. And this is cool. And this is cool. But right. the rest of it, bah. 
Yeah. So, um, like I said, we'll be definitely be covering more Starcades, and and we'll get to some other uh, big cards. We oh, might yeah. even cover some AWA and World Class stuff. Yeah, Great American uh, Bashes, Super yeah. Clashes. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so, I guess this wraps it up. We uh, fantastic job as always. Oh, thank you. Thank you, you for your expert analysis. Um, you nothing, as well, nothing man. Really, nothing really coming up to plug. Um, so just keep checking the Butch Blood Facebook page for future shows. And um, we will see everybody next time, unless you got any parting words. Race. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a good night. Yeah. yeah. Wrestling tonight. Yeah.